Welcome to the Seed Time Money Podcast. We are your hosts, Bob and Linda Lodick. This is a hope-filled podcast that'll help you save, earn, give, grow, and actually enjoy your money. We don't hold anything back. We share everything that we've learned on our journey. Everything from being 100% broke to paying off our house by age 31, to finding work with purpose, to giving more than we ever dreamed possible, all while having a blast on this adventure that God has led us on. And if you want to achieve true financial freedom and design a life of eternal impact, this is the show for you. Hey everybody, we are talking today with Dr. Josh Straub, who actually is a friend from church. Yeah. And we have a lot of awesome people at our church and he's one of them. And so he and his wife, Christy, are marriage and leadership experts and they host the Famous at Home podcast. And this book right here, Famous at Home, is one of their newest releases that I've been going through that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of really cool stuff in here that we're going to unpack yeah. and pull out. And so uh, anyway, so yeah, that's a little bit of an introduction. But I'm excited to dive in because there's a lot of good stuff here. So Josh, thank you for taking a little time to come and chat today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man. So I want to start here. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you guys spend all this time talking to people about their marriage and their family and how to do this right, how to do it well, how to reach the finish line and feel like, all right, I did a good job. And so in the context of that, we're often talking to people who are struggling to get on the same page Mm -hmm. as their spouse financially. You know, this is something that comes up a lot. I'm sure you're not surprised by this. Yeah. And so I just want to explore some of these different things of how we can kind of get on the same page as our spouse, how we can improve our relationship with our spouse. And then we can talk a little bit about kids and kind of pulling all those pieces together. But coming out of your book, like there's just a lot of really great things I found in here that I'm excited to chat about. If for no other reason than me, <laughs> there's some good stuff in here that I want to discuss further. But I want to talk a little bit about the atmosphere of our homes. Because I know, you know, we talked to a lot of people about money and we've had different seasons of our life where the atmosphere of our home was not good. And so for someone maybe listening, we'll just kind of start with a bang here. Like someone listening who the atmosphere of their home, like in their marriage particularly, is just not good. It's very unhealthy, might even be toxic. It isn't where it should be. And like, what, what do you suggest? Like, what do you, where do we start? in a situation like that? Great question. And uh, I'm pulling up the assessment here because we have a, we have an assessment in the book where, and, and as you talk about it, you know, it's fascinating because the way you pitch it, you know, there's sometimes where the atmosphere of the home, it's like, I'm trying to do everything I can to change the atmosphere of the home, but my spouse mm-hmm. is not on board at all. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. like, you know, but then there's times where it's like, well, I experienced the atmosphere of the home a certain way. And when we talk about atmosphere, like some of the things we're talking about is like an atmosphere. And the reason I pulled this assessment out is like even thinking about like, is the atmosphere of complaining or gratitude? And where are you at on that scale? Because a lot of times, especially with young kids, it's like we get into grumbling and complaining. And the atmosphere of your home changes dramatically when you have young kids complaining all the time rather than having gratitude, right? It's like, where are we at on that scale? An atmosphere of resentment or kindness, an atmosphere of fear and peace, despair and hope, anger, patience, melancholy and joy, indifference and love, and and, and on and on it goes. Like, There's all different types of an atmosphere. And the reason we talk about that is because you can sense, and, and I think one of the ways to think about this is you sense when you go visit somebody's house for dinner, right? Yeah. Maybe a dinner party or something, and you leave and you get into the car, and it's like as soon as you, the car doors close, you got this sense of like, you know, it's yeah. like you felt the atmosphere, or you get into your car and you go, man, 
they have a very peaceful home. Yeah. You sense it, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And our marriages have that same atmosphere. There's an atmosphere mm-hmm. that ebbs and flows and we have to pay attention to it. And we have to name what it is that we're experiencing in the atmosphere of our relationship. Obviously this gets into the money conversation here in a little bit, because it really starts with that. What is the atmosphere? If I have a lot of resentment towards Christy, there's a spirit of resentment there. And you know what? This ebbs and flows. Like we're not perfect. There's times where it's That's like, right. I'll actually say to her, I'll be like, are you resenting me about something right now? Or she'll say the same thing to me. It's like, you can feel it, but unless you Mm -hmm. call it out into the light, it it can linger there. And then we don't really talk about it because it's just more comfortable to stay stuck maybe than to bring it up. And and we're just huge fans of saying, bring it out into the light. Let's talk about it. And so if you have a spouse who's on board with this without, you know, because sometimes Christy will say, hey, can we do this exercise where she's really gung-ho about it and I'm brand new to it. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know what this is. What do you telling me I need to fix right now, right? It's like, let's <laughs> yeah. let's do this assessment, but let's sit down with, you know, I'm not trying to blame you, but let's just look at this assessment and let's do it together. And let's see where we're at. I want to see where you're coming from. How do you experience the atmosphere of our home? And so to sit down and do an assessment like that, just sit down with one another and then do it and then come together and talk about it. Because so often your spouse might be feeling something that you're feeling, but you just couldn't put words into. And so yeah. if, if you do have a spouse on board with that, come together and talk. If you don't, if your spouse isn't on board with that, we can change the atmosphere of our home just by how we show up and by mm-hmm. identifying the ways that we can show up as the best version of ourselves. Yeah. And that kind of gets into a different discussion, but it's kind of like when you're dancing to music, if you stop dancing, the other person can either keep dancing and you know be out there on the dance floor or the other person's going to have to stop too. And so you change, the other person has to make a decision when there's an ebb and flow in the house, the other person has to make a decision if someone else changes that ebb and flow. Yes. And that happens by us changing how we show up. Yeah. It's the best version of us for our spouse and our kids. Yeah. That's really good. So, okay. And I feel like that kind of leads into one of the exercises that you talked about in here that I'm like, oh, that's really good. Was this thing of, let's talk about this 15 minute exercise. What is this? How are you guys doing it? Yeah. And like, yeah, let's go from there. No, this is fantastic because this really leads to that question around money. It really leads to the question of how do you view money? Because so often what ends up happening is, is our relationship with money can stem back to trauma in our lives, how we grew up and that type of thing, but we don't even recognize it. We haven't even paid attention to it. But what this 15 minutes a day is really all about. A number of years ago, Christy, we were in, so we have a 10 year old we have an eight-year-old and we have a two-year-old. And there's an age gap there for a reason because the first two were really difficult infants. Uh, they had colic, acid mm-hmm. reflux, Christy had postpartum oh. depression. She was dealing with a back injury. There was all kinds of things going on in that yeah. season where we really had post-traumatic stress coming out of it. And during that time, I remember coming home one day and I was out working at a coffee shop and Christy, the way she describes it is I came home wafting in the smell of this you know, beautiful latte. And uh-huh. she was described herself in her mom uniform with the sweatpants that she wore to bed the night before, hair in a ponytail, right. no makeup. She had banana sweet potato puree <laughs> spackled all over her sweatshirt. Like she was yeah. just a hot mess. And and I came in and I'm talking all about my day. And she just ends up in tears. And she mm-hmm. looks at me and she said, Josh, why don't you ever ask me about what's going on in my heart? 
And it was one of those moments that just completely shocked me because I didn't know that there was anything wrong in her heart, first of all. But if she were sitting here, she'd say in defense, like she didn't even know what was going on in her heart. But Mm. the Bible says to guard your heart, it is the wellspring of life. Mm -hmm. And when we get married, we become one flesh. I believe we have one marital heart that we need to guard. We need to guard that marital heart. And the way to guard that heart is to get into the emotion, the feelings of your spouse. And so often what we end up doing is we end up just going throughout our day. We talk about the business of the day, who's watching the kids. We got to get kids from this activity to this activity in school and back and forth and everything. Or we talk about business and all these types of things, but we never really get into the heart. And Mm -hmm. 15 minutes a day is the way that we coach couples to be able to begin to talk about their emotions and be able to get into the heart of one another. And, you know, sometimes you might have to start by going, what is my relationship with talking about emotions? What did my parents teach me about talking about emotions? What have I learned culturally about talking about my emotions? You know, because so often many of us didn't grow up learning how to do this. And one of the ways that I encourage couples to do this is to print out a feelings chart, hang it on your refrigerator. We have one in the book there that you can take a look at and use. It really helps you identify what it is that you're feeling. And so we started doing this where, and this kind of came out of that moment for us, we sit down and instead of talking about your high or low of the day, talk about one positive emotion and one uncomfortable emotion that you had that day. And by the way, don't start with each other about the relationship. Like, cause what ends up happening is, is then we start blaming, right? Like I felt, you know, rejected by you today because you were being a jerk to me, right? Oh my gosh. Let's not talk about emotions considering the relationship unless it's a positive one, right? Like I felt really Mm -hmm. loved by you today, right? Mm -hmm. Let's, let's just keep it neutral because what it does is it invites our spouse into other events that we had throughout that day. And it gives us insight into how we're feeling about those events surrounding Mm -hmm. that day in ways that we often just end our day and we go to Netflix or our phones or our screens or we put the kids to bed and we numb out. This gives us an opportunity. By the way, I'm helping you have free therapy with one another. Like this is what you do in therapy. You you identify your emotion. So one positive, I felt excited, content, joyful, glad about, and then the event of that day. And then one uncomfortable emotion. Maybe I felt rejected. I felt embarrassed. I felt sad, angry. You know, it was one uncomfortable emotion I had today. Tell couples like, it's going to be awkward at first. It's going to feel clunky, but you don't have to sit down and just look each other in the eyes and say, how are you feeling, honey? We do this while we unload the dishwasher. And it doesn't have to be 15 minutes. Sometimes it's two minutes. Sometimes it's five minutes. But what Mm -hmm. ends up happening is, is you enter into your spouse's heart over time and it gets more and more comfortable doing so. And what you can do then is you have insight into your spouse's heart so that by the time I come home from that coffee shop and she's crying and she's in tears, had I been doing that leading up to there, I already have insight into what's already going on and I'm Mm. not starting from scratch. Yeah. Starting from scratch, probably at a point too, where it might be harder for her to communicate because she's overwhelmed. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I love that because somebody gave me a list of emotions (laughs) one time and it was so helpful to me because I don't think in those terms. Like, I'm not trying to figure out the exact emotion. I just have, I know I have feelings, right? Yeah. And so I think helping to name it is so important. And especially, I mean, not exclusively, but around the area of finances, there are just, there's so many emotions that come into play. (laughs) And I think when you come together as two separate people with different upbringings and everything, you bring your own emotions 
and different things trigger different emotions, you know? Well, and it's true to your point. Like there are so many emotions that I have around money. Money's probably the one area of my life that I have the most uncomfortable emotion around a lot of Mm. times. And I don't often know where that comes from. Unless I talk about it, I feel timid about spending money here because, you know, we don't use that. We don't say that, but I feel like if we start to use emotion language, our emotional vocabulary around certain ways that we talk about money, because we literally had a conversation about our finances right before I jumped on this call to have this conversation. You know, we're talking about it, we're looking at it, and I end my conversation by going, in the past, I can look at certain things and projections and go, oh my goodness, I feel scared. I feel fearful. I ended that by going, you know what? I feel encouraged and I trust God in this. I I have faith that he is going to provide for us because he has over and over and over again. My language around that has not always been like that. It has taken me a while to get there. That's a spiritual journey. That's an emotional journey, but it has been plenty of arguments between the two of us where Christy's the one carrying the faith and I'm afraid. And Mm. then it flips to the other side where now, you know, maybe I'm the one carrying the faith when she's afraid. And I think God tends to work that out in that regard. Yeah. 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 So just really practically for people who are I mean, because I don't know what your upbringing was like, but my upbringing was not one. Like, my family was not a, all right, everybody sit around and name your feelings and tell me how you felt today. Like, that was very not my world. And so, for people who have that kind of background with their parents not identifying that, in which, again, I don't know your story, like how it was for you, but, and I guess you kind of address this a little bit, like, just start doing this, getting the rhythm. And I mean, this is the point of the 15 minute exercise, right? Yeah. 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 Just start. There are times. So I didn't have this growing up. I mean, my parents divorced when I was 10. My dad divorced again when I was 19. Like I had great parents. My parents were amazing. They were physically in the stands for me. My dad, I can count on one hand, the number of wrestling matches my dad missed. I mean, he was at every baseball game, like emotionally in big moments. And I talk about this in a book, like my dad didn't know how to show up because his dad didn't show up for him. Like there's a generational lineage there that you pay attention to. What I talk about is, is we want to honor our parents by honoring what they gave to us. And then, but not be in denial about where they didn't give to us because they're just as fallen humans as anybody and go, okay, now how can I take what they've given me and level that up for my Mm -hmm. family and for my generation? And so that's what we really try to do. And I think that most of us, I speak for military, I speak for Joint Special Operations Command. These guys are trained to capture and kill. And I go in and I have to talk to them about emotions. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, they don't talk about emotions because that's not what they're trained to do, but they love it because the very thing that they're trained to turn off to survive on the battlefield is the thing they have to turn back on to survive when they get back home. And so they eat it up. They love it. And I put them in exercises. When I'm working with them, we get in the room and I have them practice this and I have them do it and it feels clunky. And then we talk about it. And so I just talk about it, bring the wall down with one another. Like what feels awkward? Why does it feel awkward? And you can do that. And there are moments I'm telling you where, and do this with your kids too. Like if you have kids in your home, it's a great way to begin with them because you already probably do high and low for the day or favorite part of your day, right? At the dinner table. Instead of doing that with your kids, simply everyone go around and give one positive emotion from the day. And you can do your high and then say, what did you feel in that high today? Well, I felt, you know, excited. I felt joyful. I felt silly. And then do one, you know, not so fun 
feeling of the day. Yeah. I use uncomfortable. I use not so fun feelings. Some people use negative. I don't see feelings as negative. I think every feeling leads us to intimacy in some way. If we mm-hmm. identify what it is, even the Bible says to rejoice in suffering, you know, count mm-hmm. it all joy. You know, I think there's a yeah. lot of joy in it. And so it's like, why is that? What What is God trying to teach you in the middle of your emotion? And so I think, you know, uncomfortable feelings are actually him teaching us something about ourselves and the world around us so that we can be more intimate with him and then those yeah. things we love. Yeah. Yeah. So practically you have this feelings chart on, I think it's page 147 of the book. No, yeah. 147. That's that was exactly Great. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Oh yeah. So what this could look like practically for us, because we do highs and lows, but I like this better. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is all starting to make a lot of sense to me. And so for us to take this like at dinner tonight, take the book, rip out the sheet. Because, you know, as I'm reading through this big long list, like there's a lot of feelings here that I'm like, oh, wow. It's just a lot of words, a lot of options. Right. Uh, feelings. Yeah. And this is Which, only a small number of options. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it goes to show how many are actually out there. Yeah. Yeah. So this would be a good way to start this though. To take this sheet, sit around the table and my eight-year-old son can probably read most of them. But for me, like, okay, what are some other ways I can express? Sad. Yeah. Or happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like independent, loving, optimistic, relaxed, secure, sincere, zealous. Like there's so many different things on here. Anyway, I just, I really like that. And so is that a good starting point? Oh, it's a great starting point. Absolutely. And we also have a children's book for kids called What Am I Feeling? And in the back, there's a pull out feelings poster that you could- we got you know, that on our wall already. Kids could like, see. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a great one for kids where they, they're not overwhelmed by so many words they can mm-hmm. just kind of point to to one of the core emotions. But, you yeah. know, I think what's fascinating about this, even going back to money, is you mentioned the word secure. I think so often we're feeling insecure and yeah. we can't identify that. We can't label that. It's like, oh, I actually, I'm angry. I'm angry and I'm taking it out on my wife about the finances because usually there's an emotion behind the anger, right? Yeah. And so we get arguing about money or we get arguing about anything and all of a sudden we're arguing, we're arguing, arguing. And it's like, no, wait a minute. And we use this approach. It's two chair approach. It comes out of gestalt therapy. In the front chair is like the anger. That's like, that's what's driving the bus. It's like, I'm, I'm angry. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm angry at you for the way you spend money. I'm angry at you for the way you don't spend money. And that's on the front seat of the bus on the chair behind. So if you take two chairs and you put them one in front of the other, you can physically do this. There's times where Christy and I have physically done this where I might be angry about something and I'll put a chair there because we just can't get through it. You physically get up, you come around and you sit in the back chair and you go, now tell me what's really going on. Often that physical getting up and actually going to a chair behind the anger And I do this in role plays and exercises and places. And you see people start to weep. And it's like, oh, you're actually asking me about what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times this relates to money. It's insecurity about the future. It's, you know, I don't want to spend money because we grew up poor because I watched the way my parents spent money and whatever that that narrative is. Mm -hmm. We have to get back into that narrative and what's really going on underneath the anger is usually where the narrative is. And yeah. we just need to be able to identify that. And a lot of these feeling words actually help you be able to identify it. So I think what's so powerful about that, we actually just got off a podcast an hour ago and we were talking about one of the exercises we lay out in our book is an exercise that 
Tim Ferriss talked about actually called fear setting, which is essentially identifying your worst case scenario. So in my case, one example I used was when I had gotten laid off and I was considering becoming a full-time blogger in 2008 and like evaluating that decision through the lens of what are the things I'm nervous about? What are the worst case scenarios that come out of this? And what is so powerful about this exercise is that when you shine a light on the fears, the worst case scenario they're actually afraid of, it's so much less scary because when it's hidden in the shadows, like it's so much bigger and more ominous. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I'm seeing everything you're talking about in terms of the importance of identifying these feelings the same way where, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong or crazy, but to me, it seems like they're bigger and they're scarier when you can't really identify them. Do you feel that to be true? 100%. 100%. And if you're an Enneagram person, I tend to be an Enneagram six. And so I I identify with this. So I'm like, you know, (laughs) nice. There you go. Yeah. Like I identify with this. I have that worst case scenario mentality. Like I think about that all the time, but I have to identify it. I have to be able to pull it out and go, oh my goodness. Worst case scenario is I get no more speaking events. You know, we can't sell any more products or, you know, we have to shut down and I have to go work at Lowe's. And, you know, it's like whatever that looks like, like you start to lay it out and you go, Oh, okay. Well, it's not like I'm going to lose my house. Probably not going to starve to death. Yeah, I'm not going to starve to death. Like we have great friends. We have great people who will come around and support us. If the shoe were to drop, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I actually have a really good life. It actually can lead to more gratitude. But it's like you said, so often what we do is we hide from it because that fear, and we can get into an even deeper layer of this, like that feelings chart that you talked about there in the book. It's actually called the feelings that help us recognize our emotions. So emotions and feelings are actually different. This would kind of take us down a different path, but like emotions are are what drive us. The Latin word for emotion is actually means to move. So your emotions, and, and most researchers believe that we only have between five and seven core emotions. We identify six of them in the book, angry, fear, disgust, sadness, joyful, and surprised. Those are the six we identify. Wow. And then all the other feelings are underneath that, that help you identify that core emotion. So the core emotion is what's moving you. The core emotion, like fear, for example, like you're talking about, that's the fight, flight, or freeze. It is moving me when I am thinking worst case scenario, it's going to move me to do something to react, to protect me. It's our God-given way to survive yeah. a threat in our lives. But here's the scary part. When we numb that out. We deny it. We repress it. We, you know, whatever it is that we do to pretend it's not there, like you're talking about, we don't identify worst case scenarios. We don't label what we're feeling because emotions live in the unconscious part of the brain. They live in the limbic system because the body's teaching you to just react and get angry and fight. And that's what we do with our spouse when we're Mm -hmm. scared about whatever topic it is, if it's money or whatever it is. And so your feelings live in your conscious part of your brain. That's why identifying them and labeling them actually helps you become aware of the emotion that's driving your actions and helps you then make Mm -hmm. healthy decisions where you're making decisions based on your feelings, not from your feelings. And you're not reacting on your feelings and saying things you regret to your spouse and the whole nine yards. So what you're saying absolutely is the case. Yeah. This really reminds me of, in our book, we talk about the parallels between a forest fire, which looks 
pretty bad. When you see pictures of it, you're like, this looks really bad. But the average forest fire is what, 37 it days lasts, or something? Yeah, like 30, 37, 47 days, something like that. And then interesting that too, there's this small town in Centralia, Pennsylvania. And it I'm has- from Pennsylvania. You know I know, yeah, I, know, I live there. Yeah, I live in that area, yep. So yeah, do you know there. what we're yep. talking about? Yeah, 100%, the, there's yeah, yeah. coal mine fire and it's underground. And I yeah, mean, you, the town looks pretty much normal. Like it doesn't really look that bad. Yeah, the trees have leaves on them. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. a crack in the road and whatever. You've probably been down there, but but yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. it's like a, the silent killer, right? Like it's it's killing people. It's been <laughs> it's, going it's on for sixty town. years, and they expect it to go on for another hundred. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's just interesting how when there's things that are brought out into the light, things that are above the surface, they might look really bad initially, but they're quickly cleared they out can and be healed actually faster. Yeah, it's such a faster. great analogy. That is such a great analogy because I've been to Centralia a few times. We drive through it to get to a, an amusement park we go to. And I'm telling you, like, it's a very depressed, it, you just feel the oppression. And so the analogy, yeah. it's so well, because it's like when we don't bring it out, that's what ends up happening in our bodies. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think there's so many parallels here. We talk about how it, if it's out in the open, then God can do something with it. You yeah. know, whereas if you're hiding it in your heart, like there's no way to yeah. fix it. And that's where um, the enemy gets you when it's in, mm -hmm. in the hidden place, right? Like yeah. when you're not bringing it out into the light, the enemy can take it and just twist it and he'll get you believing continued lies about the very thing that you're not taking captive. Yeah. And it will last for generations. Yes. Like it's interesting how it can get passed down. Yeah. yeah when you don't even realize it. Yeah. You think it's all inside and then nobody sees it, but everyone feels it. Everyone, and that goes back to atmosphere. It goes back to the very thing we were talking about in the beginning. You feel it, but nobody's really talking about it. Yeah. Okay, so this is really good. I wanna keep going. I have a couple like <laughs> other practical things I wanna touch Let's on. Let's do it, let's do it. So I love this idea, like we're gonna start doing this. Another thing I saw in here that I love that you do is that you have a weekly rhythm or cadence or however you describe this, but just where every day has essentially a name, you've defined it to create yep. a yep. pattern uh, almost energy-wise throughout the week. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so we have done this because it has really helped our family. So this really comes out of, and, and like where we started it was our friends over at Family Teams with Jeff Bethke and others, uh, Jeremy Pryor, they have had this rhythm. and. Going back to Genesis chapter one, God created us to have rhythms. And he created, first of all, a seven-day week. And that seven-day week, there's a gift that he's given to us called Sabbath that we so often forget. It's like we ignore the gift that God gave us. And so our seven-day week starts with a Sabbath day. And we actually practice Shabbat on Friday nights. So we go back to the Jewish tradition of doing a Shabbat Friday night sundown to Saturday sundown. That is our Shabbat day. That's our, our Sabbath day is Saturday. So everything that we're doing, we start there. Everything we're doing is leading up to this period of rest that we'll have on the weekend. And the reason we do Saturday as our Sabbath is because Sunday is our ramp up day. So we call it our ramp up day. It's kind of like where we start to ramp up for the week. You know, we go to church on Sunday morning and if you're serving in church and then you're, you know, going to lunch afterwards and stuff, by the time you come home, you're not really resting. It's not really a restful yeah. <laughs> day. And so we do it on Saturday and then it's our ramp up day. We come home from church and we start looking at what is the week ahead. We're doing laundry. Our kids are, you know, helping with the laundry. 
there's different chores that people have throughout the house, whether it's, you know, vacuuming or those types of things. And we're cleaning up and just getting the house really looking nice for the week ahead. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are kind of like for us, because we work together, we really have this kind of like the height of our bell curve. So I really try to schedule all my meetings, everything that I'm doing. I really bring Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is like three really big days. Tough Tuesday is kind of the pinnacle of that. So it's like, we're really cranking. If I have like evening meetings or anything like that, which I try to stay away from, but if I do, I try to schedule them on Tuesdays. And then Thursdays, we're starting to come down. So, you know, today would be a day as we're recording this, we're coming down off of it, even though this week looked a little bit different because we did our date night last night. But normally our date night, we try to do it on Thursday night because it's like, we call it throwback Thursday. We're throwing back to the things that really matter because Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday can really get a lot of like working, 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 work mode. And we're trying to come down off into um, Thursday night, date night, Friday. We're, we're still working, but we're cleaning things up. We're doing things that, you know, it's not like a big, big work day where everything that's required is already done. And then Friday night, we're going into that rest time. And what it does for our kids is it brings this sense of like calm in our kids because they know what's coming especially yeah. our firstborn. He needs to know what's coming. And we all do. I mean, we all get hopeful for things to come and that type of thing. So when we're in our rhythm, that's what our rhythm really looks like. And again, you don't have to do what we do. The whole point is to find what works for your family. And that's what we walk families through in the book is going, what works uniquely for your family? If your kids go to school, so we homeschool. So it looks different because we have to have homeschool rhythms built into what we're doing. If your kids go to school, you know, what does that look like? How do you capitalize on your evenings that you have with your family, you know, and so you just name your days because if you don't, everything else will dictate the direction of your family, your sports schedules, your sports practices, your everything else will dictate where your family is going and you won't. Just like we we're talking about with naming your emotions, you have to name your rhythms. You have to be able to identify this is the direction we want to be going in as a family. And so therefore we want to set our rhythms in such a way that are supporting our family where we defend our rhythms. The rhythms serve our family. We don't serve the rhythms. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's I so good. That. I love that. All right. That's really good. And there's another thing in here that I pulled out that I love so much that we are going to steal. So we've been huge Sabbath junkies for a long time. So we take a month long sabbatical basically every month and we've gotten into every year. Every year, sorry, not every month. One month, every month. It's <laughs> hey, I want to learn. I want to learn how to take a one month sabbatical every month. I'd yeah, love to yeah, learn how to do that. It's fantastic. <laughs> we'll get into that in the next one. And so we've been doing that, and I feel like we have that down. But we've been working on our weekly Sabbath, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's just been a work in progress in a lot of ways. And we actually recently just shifted from Sunday to Friday yeah. night to Saturday night, like you guys. Nice. And I've found that it works a lot better for us. I really mm-hmm. like that rhythm, that change. But what you mentioned in his book that I'm like, that is so smart. That is so smart. We're going to steal that immediately. This idea, you said that, or it might have been Christy, I don't remember who, said that your Sabbath is the most regimented day of your week and that you plan it out basically by blocks of yeah. three-hour yeah. windows throughout. I love this so much. Will you talk about this a little bit, what this looks like for you guys? Yeah. So what ends up happening is, is we do a really good job of planning our work, but we do a terrible job of planning our rest. Yeah. And if you don't plan your rest, it won't really be restful because what you'll do is you'll end, up find, <laughs> you'll end up finding that you spent it on Instagram or Netflix and you just were like, oh my gosh, I wish I wouldn't have, you know. And so we schedule it in such a way where a lot of times we will talk about how we're doing. 
how each of us is doing leading into the weekend. And usually it's Christy because she's been with the kids the most. She's the one who needs the time away. So usually that first Saturday morning, although in the summertime, like, and again, it depends, but in the summertime, we've been getting up in the morning as a family and we'll spend our first block as a family where we're going to farmer's markets or we're going places like that as a family. And that's the first block. There's other seasons where that first block is just Christy going and getting away because she just needs to get away from the kids and get away from the family and just kind of Mm -hmm. be and sit with the Lord and do her time in order to come back as the best version of herself and really get rest, you know, good, true Sabbath rest. And then the other blocks are going to vary. And it depends on how many kids you have. We have three kids. So, you know, there's some Saturdays, like last weekend, I took our daughter Kennedy out on a date for one of those blocks, like where it was just me and her. And so Christy stayed back with the two boys and we alternate that. And then by the evening, at the end of the day, there's family time, there's time alone that we each get. There's time that we get maybe with each of the kids individually. There's some rest time in there for everybody where everybody kind of goes away. But then at the end of the day for us, we usually do a family movie night on Saturday night to close things out. Yeah. But the thing about it is you have to identify this. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be able to sit down. It's a constant work in progress. Like we're always yeah. working at this. I have friends who actually have Excel spreadsheets with the actual blocks of time yeah. and they're typing in what worked, what didn't work, those types of things. We're not that regimented with it, but we are sitting down on Friday night and going, okay, tomorrow we got this from here to here. We got this from here to here, this Mm. from here to here. And we're actually just saying, okay, you're going to get your time to go there. You're going to get your time to do this. And we just map that whole thing out. And we also try to make it easy too. We try to have meals already prepped. Usually our Friday night meal that we make is going to be leftovers on Saturday using paper plates. So you're not doing dishes. Like you're just trying to find ways to not have to be doing normal work stuff, even house stuff on a Saturday. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. I love, I love we're stealing that idea. Yeah, the kids will love it too. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think they will. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you for coming on and chatting about all this. Everybody, go grab his book, their book, Famous at Home, and just check out all their stuff. We have their kids' book too, the one you were talking about. What's it called? What Am I Feeling? What am I feeling? Yeah. yeah and it's like, we were yeah. reading that with our five-year-old daughter who- um, Emotions are big. She's got some big emotions, it. y'all. <laughs> yeah. So we found this to be helpful uh, as we've been working with her on naming mm-hmm. her feelings. And so anyway, this is something that we're obviously continuing to grow in this, but yeah. everybody run out and check out this book. And Josh, thank you so much for coming on, brother. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Thanks for joining us on the Seed Time Money Podcast. And remember, money isn't the goal, but it's simply a tool to help you fulfill your purpose and your calling. And we'd love to help you achieve true financial freedom faster with our email newsletter. So if you want exclusive money tips and hope-filled encouragement in your inbox, head over to seedtime.com to get signed up.